back to the Monday. <laughs> okay. Let's stand for the scripture reading, please. Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of he who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. All right. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. So my poem today comes from Anne Weems' book, Kneeling in Jerusalem, and it's entitled, The Way. The way to Jerusalem looks suspiciously like Highway 40, and the pilgrims look suspiciously like you and me. I expected the road to Jerusalem to be crowded with holy people, clerics and saints, people who have kindness wrinkled in their faces and comfort lingering on their voices. But this is more like rush hour. Horns blowing, people pushing, voices cursing. This is not what I envisioned. Oh God, I've only begun and already I feel as if I've lost my way. Surely this is not the road and surely these are not the ones to travel with me. This Lenten journey calls for holy retreat for reflection and repentance. Instead of holiness, this highway is crammed with the cacophony and chaos. Is there no back road to Jerusalem? No quiet path where angels tread to weary, tend to weary travelers? No sanctuary from the noise of the world? Is it just this? Can this hectic highway be the highway to heaven? We continue this journey, and sometimes we think that this journey isn't really about Jesus, it's about us. That all the things we encounter on this road to Jerusalem are meant for us to learn something. And so we move along, and when we trip over a stone or when there's a boulder placed in the road in front of us, we tend to think, why? Why, God? Why did this happen to me? We have this idea that somehow we're the center of the universe. And I hate to be the one to break this to you, 
but you're not. You're not the center of the universe, and the things that happen are not happening to you or because of you. Things just happen. For those of you who think there should be another way, sorry, this is called life. And it doesn't go smooth and go along just like you plan it. It has a lot of ups and downs, and there are a lot of things that we don't get to choose that just seem to happen. This past week has been a difficult week for me. There have been a lot of things that happened, not to me, but a lot of things happened. But when I really think about this week, I cannot think about it as only the low points, only the real hard things, because there were blessings sprinkled in between that. Monday was a rough day, and I got home, and I sat down in my chair. Actually, I fell into my chair. And I had this little four-legged critter climb up to my lap and curl up on my lap and start purring. That was a gift. That was a beautiful gift to me. But then my phone rang, and it was Bishop Suda for crying out loud. <laughs> and I had no idea why he was calling me, but he did. So I answered the phone, and I said, what did I do now? And he said to me, I'm still unpacking. And I found a hymn that you had written when you were in Camden, when you first got back from Washington, and he said, I thought you might want it. And he said, this particular hymn is signed by Steve Carpenter, who wrote the music for it, Steve Carpenter was very talented, but he wrote, he wrote music that was unsingable by any choir I've ever known. But it looks good on paper. And he said, he signed it, and so I'm sending it to you. And then we talked about everything else going on. And at the end of our conversation, in true suit of fashion, he says, let me pray for you, my sister. And so he did. And he prayed for me, and that changed my whole attitude. It changed my day. That happened like three times this week, that something happened to change my day right in the middle of it. Now, I was having some significant issues with the computer. And those of you who know me well know that this is not my area of expertise. This is something that frustrates me on a good day. And I couldn't get the printer in the office to talk to the computer. They just weren't speaking to one another. Must have had a bad day. Must have had an argument. I don't know. They didn't tell me. So I put that aside, and I walked away. So I'm not going to deal with this anymore. I even sent a couple of text messages to people and said, 
You might end up with itty bitty tiny bulletins, but I don't care at this point. And yet I came in the next day, that I'll try one more time, hit print, and everything went to the printer and printed just fine. It was a thank you Jesus moment. But as we're on this road to Jerusalem, when we are supposed to be thinking about Jesus and where Jesus was going, Jesus knew when he went on this road what the end result was going to be. We take our little problems so seriously and let them become huge, big blocks for us. And one of the things that helped me a lot this week was reading this Zacchaeus story over and over again. And I thought, at least Jesus isn't coming my, to my house to spend the night. At the very least, I don't have to have 12 men in my house. I don't have to prepare a meal. I don't have to do those things. Zacchaeus is perched in a tree, and Jesus says, come on down, I'm staying at your house tonight, along with my entourage, you might know. Seriously? Now that's an issue. That's something I wouldn't want to have to do. And yet, Zacchaeus, a hated person, who wasn't just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector, he was willing not only to have Jesus in his home, but he was willing to change his ways. He was willing to do something beyond and over and above the call of duty. Jesus didn't ask him to pay back anything that he had stolen. Jesus didn't ask him to change his ways. I've often wondered what it was about Jesus' persona. Was it his eyes? Was it his voice? What was it that made people just automatically say, oh yeah, yeah, I'll do that, sure. People were absolutely changed just by being in the presence of Jesus. So we get to do the same thing, but we get so bogged down with the everyday stuff of life that we forget that all we have to do is go to Jesus and Jesus will set us straight. Jesus will put us on that path that we need to be on. Jesus will take care of all of the problems. I was in a confirmation class once with a bunch of kids and we were, read we were reading the book of Luke and we got to this point and the question that was raised to this group of kids, I think there were like nine or ten of them, is if Jesus was coming to your house for dinner, what would you serve? 
So we went around the table, and people were going to have, like, Thanksgiving dinner. They were going to do the turkey and all the trimmings and all this stuff. And there were people that said, no, I think we would have chicken. We would probably have roast beef. We get to this one kid, George Taylor, who I adored. George says, well, we'd do pizza and wings. And everybody laughed. Why, George? He said, if Jesus is coming to dinner, why do you want to fuss with all of the stuff and have all those dishes to do? He said, wouldn't you want to sit around the table and hear what Jesus has to say? It still gives me chills. He got it. Spending time with Jesus is way more important than trying to impress Jesus. I don't think Jesus was easily impressed. I was thinking about George this week. He was one of the funniest kids I ever met. I mean, he was a riot. When he would go to camp, I would always send, I always sent notes to everybody who went to camp from the church, and we sent like 70 kids to camp, so I had writer's cramp in the summer. But I would always send notes to George, cut up into little pieces, so he had to put it together like a puzzle. I also did that with his sisters because they would go four girls and I would do a note for each girl in a different color paper and then put them all in one envelope all mixed up so they'd have to figure that out. So when I left, these kids gave me a scrapbook and George wrote his goodbye message to me, cut up tiny little pieces of paper, but also used a paper punch so that you have to sort through the little dots, too. Took me almost a month to figure that out. But he also was one of the brightest people I've ever met. And George just graduated from, well, graduated from college last year and is now in med school, which makes me think that every time I go to the doctor, please don't let it be George. <laughs> but really and truly, this was a kid whose faithfulness was so important to him. The family was very involved in the church, but George was the one who really sort of carried the mantle. He was the one who made sure that everybody got up on Sunday morning and got to church. He was the one who sat up front. At first I thought he was a heckler, but then I realized that it was that he really wanted to know what was going on. That church always had two rummage sales a year, giant rummage sales, and anybody who worked at the rummage sale could pick up their stuff and put it in a pew so that they could buy this stuff afterwards. And George was there every day. And George found, when he was unpacking stuff, one long glove red silk. So when they were confirmed, I said, you need to wear something red, because we always did confirmation on Pentecost. And George said, 
can I wear the glove? I said, absolutely, it's fine with me. So he came in a couple of days later for rehearsal, and he said, I can't wear the glove. And I said, why not? And he says, Mom nixed it. So along with my cut-up letter, I also got the glove. And I still have that one long red silk glove. And every time I think of George Taylor, I think of having pizza and wings with Jesus. I think about the simplicity of his faith and how we complicate them. You know, we complicate everything, make it so hard and so convoluted that we cannot possibly just love a simple Jesus. Zacchaeus must have been in that same mindset. That I'm not going to try to make this complicated, Jesus. I'm just going to make it right. I'm just going to turn this around so that I can be a better person. When George went to Cornell, I was on the board for the Cooperative Protestant Ministry for Cornell. We had a meeting, and the chaplain, who has since retired, looked at me and she said, thank you for sending me George Taylor. And I said, I didn't have much to do with that, but you're welcome. She said, he has come in and has just kind of taken over everything that needs to be done. I said, well, it sounds like the George Taylor I know, so relish in it because he's only going to be here for four years. Actually, it was only three because he went summers. But that's what we need to be. We all need to have a little bit of George Taylor in us to see Jesus for who he is and let Jesus change our hearts. To see Jesus the way Zacchaeus did and said, whoa, I'm glad I climbed that tree. Instead, we look for excuses and loopholes. What did Jesus ask of us? Follow me. When he asked people what were the most important rules to live by, what did Jesus say? Love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself, which means you can't look in the mirror in the morning and say, I'm scum, and think that you can love your neighbor, but not yourself. When you look in the mirror in the morning, you are seeing God look back at you. I don't think God ages the way I do, but there's that spark of God in each of us. We need to accept Jesus for who he is and for who he can make us be, how he can change our lives. Don't look for somebody else to do it. We're responsible for our own relationship with Jesus. Got to work on it.
Got to be faithful to it. Doesn't come Christmas and Easter alone. Faithfulness is a lifetime commitment. Live into that. Amen.